0: to another episode in the series entitled The Churches of Christ, sponsored by the Skillman Church of Christ of Dallas, Texas. This is your host, John Mark Davidson, and today we have another great treat for your listening pleasure. Today's interview is with Christian scholar and historian, Dr. Richard Hughes. Dr. Hughes has authored, co-authored, and edited Seventeen books, including Reviving the Ancient Faith, a story of Churches of Christ in America. Also, Myths, America Lives By, White Supremacy, and the stories that give us meaning. Dr. Hughes has held teaching positions at Southwest Missouri State University, Abilene Christian University, Pepperdine University, Messiah College, and now David Lipscomb University. When I set out to do this podcast series, I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to shoot for the stars here. So I sent emails out to some of the world leaders and experts on this topic. And Dr. Hughes literally wrote the book on the history of the churches of Christ. So I wrote to him just on the whim, hoping for the best, but not expecting any response. But to my surprise, he wrote me back immediately and he said that he would be thrilled to do this podcast. Also in his email he mentioned that he was delighted to hear that I work with the Skillman Church of Christ because he himself had grown up at Skillman during a portion of his childhood and was baptized by John Bannister. I mean it's hard can you believe that's crazy? But uh, as we began the interview and began talking I did uh, I asked him to tell some of his memories and stories from his time at Skillman, and this is how he responded. So, memories. my memories
1: about growing up in Skillman. You know, I don't have a lot of memories, but I have some very strong memories, a few that are really, really strong. Mm -hmm. And one, and I wish I could remember this woman's name, and she taught Sunday school at Skillman, Mm -hmm. and I was probably nine or maybe 10, we left Dallas when I was 10 and moved to San Angelo. Mm, okay. so I was really in Dallas from, I think, ages five to 10. But there was this one Sunday school teacher, and I can actually see her face. just as clear as bell. I remember perfectly. Yes. And, but I don't know her name. I wish I could find out her name. I'm sure she's deceased by now, mm. probably. I mean what she was probably
0: What she years? Was? Been,
1: well, let's see, that would have been probably 1950.
0: Two, mm-hmm. it would
1: have been fifty-two, and I was, you know, that's been a long time ago.
0: Yes, yes. And
1: she was probably, I don't know, twenty-five or thirty, maybe even younger. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But what I remember about her, she, we, you may, re, this is so far ago, you, you <laughs> may not even know anything about it. But there was this series of Sunday school books called Journeys Ooh. Through the Bible.
0: Oh, wow! And
1: and she and you know and but. What I remember about her was her kindness. Mm. And she she really wanted to communicate to us about the, the Bible and mm. what what this story was all about. And she, you know, I, I, I just remember how much she cared. But I just have great memories of this woman yes. that I can't, I wish, I, if I ever saw her picture, mm. you know, if if there's a, if there's a, if
0: there's a Skillman directory. We, you've given us a challenge. 50, You've given us us a challenge, uh, Richard, today, and the listeners that are here, because we have people at Skillman today who have been there since its inception uh, at the location that it's at in in 1951. And so Mm -hmm. this is a challenge that we will put, we will find the name of this Bible teacher. I know there was uh, Mm -hmm. a Bible teacher named Lucille McNeil, um, who uh, taught the the younger ages, many, many years. She's still around and alive. Uh, it, it could be her, but it might be the predecessor of Lucille McNeil, but we will find that answer.
1: Well, it, if there's a directory, say with a photo, you know, picture directory, mm-hmm. I could identify her pretty quickly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> On a lineup. Her
1: just as clear as a bell, but I, I just have memories of that. her commitment to the children, her love for the children, her love for the biblical text, mm-hmm. And, um, Wow. it kind of chokes me up just thinking about her. She was really something. And then the other, the other, well, and then my pediatrician when Mm -hmm. I was a little kid that my mother took me to was an elder at Skillman and you may or may not know the name because he's long since deceased. Mm -hmm. His name was John G. Young. Wow. You know that name, John Young?
0: No, I'm not familiar with John. Yes. Yeah.
1: He he was a pediatrician. He was an elder at this Skillman church and, uh, (laughs) And then the other thing, of course, was the baptism. Oh, yes. Tell me that story. And I, John Bannister was the preacher. And it was a Sunday night. And I don't remember what the sermon was about, but I was deeply touched. I, I was nine, nine years old. And he gave the invitation. And I said to my mother and dad, I said, I, I would like to be baptized. And they said, well, go forward. And I went forward. And he took my confession. He baptized me. Then the thing that I remember about that so well Mm-hmm. Was the next morning,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and you know, I, I'm like so many Church of Christ people, I, I'm kind of a rationalist, right? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> papers, I think in rational categories, but I don't relate to a lot of the mm-hmm. this spirituality and so on. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I'm just I'm a camelite, yes. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I do I am. but I had this one experience that next morning I woke up. And I, I, felt pure and clean. And I remember that there was a light that flooded the room. Mm. And I don't, what do you make of that? I don't know what to make of that, but yeah. I, I remember distinctly. Just it was like it was like some kind of divine presence in the room with me. And I was nine years. You know, I don't know what to make of that. Amazing but story. I've always remembered that. It's a great memory.
0: Well, when I was. Thinking about who I would love to speak to about the this particular topic on this podcast, of course you're um, one of the the world experts, the top of the top. And I thought I'm just going to give it a shot and just see. I'm going to shoot for the stars. Uh, the worst thing can happen is never return an email. But I was delighted to receive. Well, you're backup, very kind to receive back. You, you way overestimate. You way overestimate me. Oh, no, no. That's, that's,
2: <laughs> I know you're tough. you're
0: being very very humble, but I was so delighted and overjoyed, not only to receive word back from you that you would be willing to speak on this podcast, but not only that, but that you had grown up at the Skillman Church of Christ, and that you lived off of Penrose Avenue, and that you had your first Little League experiences at Titsi Park. I oh, yeah. I remember, I remember that vividly. I remember
1: vividly. And especially the story that I sent to you. Yes. When that flagpole came my way I was probably eight years old. <laughs> Oh, what a a great story! I just hit my glove, dropped to the ground, and that's when I peed in my pants. Eight years old. Oh my god! I'll never forget that one. (laughs) It's unforgettable. Open up! I wanted the earth to open up and just swallow me. Just it was just so awful.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a great story! And um, maybe, maybe with your permission, I can maybe send a portion of that short story out as well because it was very (laughs) well written. Uh, so they can also share in uh, your sports uh, journey and what happened that day at TTC Park in the Little League field. And, but not only are you a, a a famous Little League baseball player here in, uh, in the East Dallas area, but uh, you're also a, a world-famous historian and someone who's written books and given countless lectures. Uh, you are a professor for the professors a teacher of teachers yeah, you, give me, you give me too much credit but. well on on this particular topic especially on the uh, the historical nature of the restoration movement and i thought how special would it be to, to hear from you and, and and for for those of us who are unfamiliar with the story of the restoration movement how did it first begin what's the origin story what were the the factors at play you know uh Boy, I mean, I could talk
1: on this for a long, long time yes. and we don't have that much time, but let me just kind of abbreviate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to tell you the truth, I think it would have been surprising if a movement like ours had not emerged mm-hmm. in the early 19th century because this restoration vision mm-hmm. was deeply, deeply embedded in American culture and, mm-hmm. you know, in the early years of the country. And the reason I say that is because think about, for example, John Mark, think about the Declaration of Independence. You know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, mm-hmm. all created equal, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then Jefferson appeals, he grounds that assertion in what he calls nature and nature's God. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so you know, Thomas Paine said, you know, when we, when we see the American government, it's as if we're seeing government, you know, from the hands of God. In other words, there's this key, there's this sense in the early, period of this country mm-hmm. that this country was itself a restoration yes. of the way things were meant to be from the beginning. Mm. And that's pretty remarkable because I don't think there are not many other countries if any mm-hmm. that thinking themselves in those terms. I mean right. we we never dreamed we were quote man made <laughs> or created by some kind of you know human wit. Mm. You know, we we always described our existence to this is you know God chose this nation for the special mission, and the mission was that we were rooted in the way things were meant to be. That's the restoration vision. So it, it doesn't surprise me at all Then in the early years of this new country, mm-hmm. all kinds of restorationist movements sprung up spontaneously. It wasn't, it wasn't just us. But, but think about this. In in our tradition, mm-hmm. Churches of Christ, Disciples, Christian Church, in our mm-hmm. tradition, there were four distinct movements that emerged, far separated from each other geographically. So Mm -hmm. there was the Campbell movement, as you know, up in what Mm -hmm. is now West Virginia. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was fairly far north (laughs) and uh, right between Ohio and Pennsylvania. That's Campbell. Further south, there's Martin of his stone He's doing the very same thing with a bit of Mm -hmm. a different emphasis. In New England, there's Abner Jones and Elias Smith doing the same thing. Interesting. And then North Carolina, there's James O'Kelly doing the same thing. I mean, you know, and they all have this vision of restoring the primitive church and they Mm -hmm. all have different emphases, but they're all about the vision of restoring the primitive church. But it's not just us. Mm -hmm. Latter-day Saints. Yes. I mean, I I did not know this for years and years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was at Brigham Young University years ago when I was in the bookstore. Mm -hmm. And I came across a book in fact, several copies of a book and on the spine of the book, it said Joseph Smith and the Restoration. And I go, really? Whoa. Joseph and the Restoration? Really? So that's when I began to discover mm-hmm. that, yes, you know, and and when Joseph mm-hmm. tells his story and, you know, Latter-day Saints repeat this story endlessly. And mm-hmm. it's, it's in Joseph's own autobiography. Mm-hmm. But he tells that when he was a, just a kid, maybe 11 or 13, I don't know, maybe 16, Mm -hmm. maybe a teenager living in New York. Uh, He's reading his Bible one night, the book of James, and James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth giveth to all men liberally and Mm -hmm. upbraideth not. And Joseph (laughs) thinks, wow, well, if there's anything who lacks wisdom, it's me, because I see see all these denominations competing with one another. They Mm -hmm. all claim to be one true church. I would join one of them if I knew which one was the one true church. So he says, I'm going to go to the woods and I'm going to ask God, I'm going to kneel in prayer and ask God, what is the one true church? So Joseph goes out to the woods. Now, this is his story. as He tells it. He goes to the woods and he wants to ask God to give him some sign, Mm -hmm. which is the one true church. So he takes off his jacket and he kneels down in the woods. He's about to pray. And he says, suddenly there's a bright light, this blinding light. And he opens his eyes and looks and he says there's two, he calls them personages. Mm. And one was God, mm-hmm. and one was Jesus, standing right there in the woods. <laughs> and God says to Joseph, Joseph Smith, this is Jesus Christ, my only begotten son, hear him. And Jesus says to Joseph, Joseph, I know that you've come to ask which of the church churches is the one true church. Mm-hmm. And he says, none of them. Oh, None of them. They're all an abomination. But Joseph, through you, Mm. I will restore, restore the true church. Interesting, and that you know, so Mormons to this day, it's all about restoration. Wow. Or here's here's another quick. I'm taking too much time on this, Let's, I'm sure, but here's another yeah, but we example. Have enough time, yes. Another quick example, mm. uh, the Shakers. Mm. So I don't know if you're familiar with the Shakers or not, but you know, this was a began in England, and a woman named Mother Ann Lee had these visions that. Uh, that basically uh, sex is evil and, and the less of it the better mm-hmm. and she began to preach this vision and mm-hmm. got nowhere in England but she says the Holy Spirit appeared toward a dream one night mm-hmm. and the Spirit said sail to America the American people will be receptive so she boarded a vessel with her two or three of her colleagues mm-hmm. came to America and began preaching this and it was a restoration vision, you know, uh, you know, Paul says, you know, I wish all men were like me, you know, continent, you know, <laughs> don't marry, you know, and that's mm-hmm. their, So they get it. So the, for them, the true church was a church characterized by chastity and, wow. and keeping oneself, you know, unspotted from, you know, sexual intercourse. And so you don't marry. Mm-hmm. And they brought that, and sure enough, in this American environment, this heady utopian environment, She wins hundreds of followers, and they set up villages. I think at their height there were nineteen Shaker villages, all of them committed to the proposition of the primitive in the primitive church, the one true church. There is no marriage or giving a marriage, and uh, so you know the most famous is in Shaker Town, Kentucky.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: Martin Stone had had some uh, interaction with some of those Shakers, or. I mean I can go on and on there's so many how did we begin well it's it's in the air it would be amazing if we didn't Mm. but of course as far as the churches of Christ are concerned you know our particular manifestation of this Mm -hmm. it really comes from two people Mm -hmm. Alexander Campbell up in West Virginia in Barton Stone down in Kentucky northern Tennessee and, you know, these two people came together, and of course, they had two very different emphases. Now I want to mention this because you've mentioned to me the concern with social justice, and both yes. uh, of mm-hmm. John, and the and yes. you know yes. and, and racial healing. Mm-hmm. So Campbell was all about rationality. Mm-hmm. You, you, you read the text mm-hmm. through a rational lens, mm-hmm. and you try to restore the, the, the... He almost views the New Testament like a constitution. Mm. It's kind of a for the church. So you read the text, and based on your what you read there, you try to reproduce the primitive church, but it, it has to do with forms and structures. You know, how often did, did the primitive church take the Lord's Supper? Mm. How did they practice baptism? Sprinkling or immersion? How do how do they organize their churches? You know, with a pope or with mm. you know elders and deacons? I mean, what did it look like? So Campbell goes about trying to restore these forms and structures, and that's very familiar to us, because yes. that's what we've been doing too. Yes. The other guy, Barton W. Stone, was not very interested in forms and structures. He was really interested in the question, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Mm. So he, he becomes a very, he's a guy that if, I mean, if, if he were alive today, he would use your language. Mm. He's a guy who cares deeply about social justice. Wow. Justice for the poor, justice for black people, justice for, you know, God cares about these people who are on the margins yes. and he, he convinced his life for to him primitive church is a church that is deeply involved in really the kingdom of god you know yes. the kingdom that kingdom where you know jesus says as you did it to me you did it to the least of these enter into the kingdom of god right yes the rich young ruler you mm-hmm. know he, he he can't part with his goods he's so rich he, he can't do it and he walks away sorrowful. And Jesus says, "How hard it is for the rich to enter the mm-hmm. kingdom of God." They, they, we, you know, so the kingdom of God is the place where we we're in solidarity with the poor. And the, the kind of work Larry James and, and John Savage are doing in in in, uh, in City Square, the kind of work you're doing. So it's interesting that you have these two emphases. Campbell finally goes to Kentucky in 1823 for a debate and gets the attention of the Stone people. In time, the Campbell vision, sadly, sadly, from my point of view, eclipses the Stone vision, mm-hmm. and the Stone really becomes the forgo- forgotten man. He's, he's, you know, that whole emphasis on, on standing in solidarity with poor people, with black people, with you know, with with slaves, you know, that Stone. But he got preempted by this vision of restoring the primitive church in terms of you know how often do we take the Lord's Supper and <laughs> what should baptism look like and. What was the order of worship? And, you know, mm-hmm. all of these I don't know, two questions kind of came to define us, sadly. And I say sadly, because when I read the New Testament, it seems to me that stone was much more on target
0: than Alexander Campbell, from my point of view. So that's, that's enough, I think. Wow, that is so interesting. It's so interesting that these two individuals with different visions came together. It's interesting that they unified this movement, and it's also interesting. I know from just reading history books that there was some a split that took place. I guess officially in 1906, and that this restoration movement began as a unified movement. But today, you know, these churches that come from that particular wellspring are the Disciples of Christ, the Christian Church, uh, the Churches of Christ. And uh, I'm just curious, what happened? Uh, what happened that led to this division? What were the the factors in that day? And and uh, why was there the split that was recorded in 1906?
1: Well, and you know, and so I mentioned Stone and Campbell mm-hmm. came together, but then in time, Campbell dominated. Stone became the forgotten man, and this this kingdom of God theology kind of dropped. I mean, I I can't remember growing up ever hearing a sermon on the kingdom of God. Ever. <laughs> well, but I mean, it makes sense that we wouldn't preach it because it's, so, it's such a radical vision, you know. Mm you going to preach on that? Really? You, you <laughs> want you know, that, that upside down crazy stuff? I mean, who preaches this stuff? You know, yeah. so we didn't, we didn't, You, know, I grew up never hearing this. So Campbell then really is the key here to the divisions. Mm-hmm. So Campbell's vision was threefold mm-hmm. to restore the primitive church
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: by following the Constitution that we mm-hmm. read with a rational mind, right? Mm-hmm. We restore the primitive church. And restoration of the primitive church, in turn, will lead to the unity of all Christians. Mm. So all, all these people who say they're Christian, Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, etc., Roman Catholics, Episcopalians, all, Quakers, mm. whatever, get rid of your creeds, mm. go back to the Bible, join us in restoring the primitive church, and we'll be unified. So restoration leads to unity. Mm. So this the split that took place, it seems to me, was a, was a rupture of... Right along the lines of Campbell's vision, mm. so the the Unity people
2: mm-hmm.
1: tended to be Northerners, mm-hmm. the Northern wing movement. So that would be, you know, Kentucky certainly, mm-hmm. and then Indiana, Ohio, uh, that those Midwestern states. Yeah. They came to be, you know, that that that's the Unity people were centered there. Uh-huh. The Restoration people were centered more in the South, Tennessee, uh-huh. Oklahoma. But there's a reason again for that split and it's the civil war oh wow so yeah. we we were very divided by the war mm-hmm. and, and it and it, it's true that i mean there's a sectional division you know mm-hmm. the sections south mm-hmm. north and mm-hmm. the so, southern churches ran with a the restoration theme i mean mm-hmm. really i mean we gave lip service to unity but you know the way we talked about unity was you know uh, you mm-hmm. come play the game with my rules and we'll be we'll all be one, you know. Exactly. You know, or you can take your marbles and go home. <laughs> right? I mean that that's kind of the way we so we focused on restoration. Mm. What does it mean to be the true church? Mm-hmm. The the northern wing of the movement increasingly had less and less interest in restoration, but more and more interest in unity, wow. and they become the disciples of Christ. You know the, the, so they're the sort of the ecumenical wing. Mm-hmm. They've been involved in ecumenical conversations with, you know, mm-hmm. the World Council of Churches, the National Council mm-hmm. of Churches. You know, mm-hmm. and we not. You know, we've been doing the restoration thing. You know, yes. for all these years. Yes. Then you mentioned the Independent Christian Churches. So mm. how did they figure? Where did they come from? Well, there was no independent Christian church, mm. I don't think, until maybe around 19, the late 20s, the early 1930s. Oh, interesting. And what happened was the rise of the fundamentalist movement in Christendom nationwide. Yes, yes. So, so you, get, you get a split in, in, across the board in America's churches between fundamentalists, and and you know, for want of a better word, the liberals, so the more progressive people, the fundamentalist people, and mm. increasingly the disciples cast their lot with the more progressive, mm. with mm. Christianity at large. But mm. there were people within the disciples who said, uh-uh, we ain't going there. You know, we're not going to go that direction. Right. They, in effect, took their marbles and went home. I mean, they you know, they withdrew from the disciples and they formed another. Very distinct denomination, which we know as the Independent Christian Church. So there are really two divisions: one that took place late 19th century, Hmm. formalized in 1906; the second division, a division within the the disciples of Christ themselves, between the more liberal uh, believers and the more conservative believers and the conservatives of the Independent Christian Church. I had no idea. So that's
2: all simplifying,
1: but that at least gives a thumbnail sketch.
0: Yes, that is so interesting. And along these lines, too, I think I either read something or listened to a lecture one time, and it was speaking about the acapella traditions within the Churches of Christ. And it seems as though, in a lot of ways, the Disciples of Christ, the independent Christian church, who, from, from uh, kind of hearing this description, were emerged, uh, began more in the northern states, whereas the, the Churches of Christ main, mainly had their center uh, within the southern states. And I had read something or heard something that said that the acapella music was birthed first post-Civil War out of necessity uh, because of lack of resources. And that's that's true.
1: Do do you know the name David Edwin Harrell, Jr.?
0: No, no, never. never.
1: Well, I'm glad I brought that up because uh, David Edwin Harrell, Jr., was raised and was spent his entire life in the anti-institutional wing of Churches of Christ. Mm-hmm. But he, you would talk about the premier historian. It's not me. It's Ed <laughs> Harold. Uh, Ed published and Ed passed away. By the way, uh, on the twelfth of this month. Oh, wow! And he was ninety-one years old. But uh, Ed uh, taught it. Let me think, he taught at Auburn. He taught at University of Alabama in Birmingham. Wow. He spent most of his career at Auburn. Mm-hmm. And his position was, you know, they're distinguished professors. Ed wasn't a, just a distinguished professor. His title was eminent professor. And I found that, if it ended, I thought about writing Ed a letter and saying, dear, you're eminent. You know, you your, your, <laughs> But Ed, Ed did remarkable work and he published a book In 1966, I think it Hmm. was, Mm -hmm. called Quest for a Christian America. Okay. uh, The Social Sources of Division in Churches of Christ. Hmm. The Social Source. It's an incredible book. Yes. And then he's published a lot of it. It is not on our radar because, you know, he's he's not in the mainstream of the Church of Christ. He's in the institutional wing. But what he argued in that book in in, in 1966 was essentially that uh, that the, the, the northern churches brought in the instrument. Mm. Mm-hmm. The north won the war. Yes. And these the northern cities were booming. Mm-hmm. And so the northern denominations capitalized on that growth and that prosperity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just like northern Methodists, northern Presbyterians, the northern wing of our movement began to bring in. Wonderful pipe organs and padded pews and these majestic buildings. That's the disciples, and and what Ed argues was that we were in the South. We were post Civil War. We were too poor to buy an organ, even if we'd wanted one. So so the 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 rejection of instrumental music, Ed argues, had a lot to do with our poverty. You know, so we couldn't we couldn't afford it, but we sanctified that decision by appealing to scripture, yes. and turned it into a into a sort of a, a matter of uh, orthodoxy. But yes. in point of fact, it had a lot to do with our poverty. Wow! So that, that's Ed's argument, and I think you know it, it's you know mm-hmm. you know, I mean you can argue with that, mm-hmm. but there is a lot of truth to what what Ed is is said in that book. And then Ed Ed came out with a second book. Mm-hmm. Uh, also focusing on the social forces in churches of Christ. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of the title of that second book. I can't come up with the title, but you could. But yes. you know, Ed Harold is the guy who wrote, he, he did the research on this. And wow. uh, well, I look forward and, to reading that work. Is, uh, oh, it's just phenomenal stuff. Yeah. yeah. Get a hold of Quest for a Christian America. Yes. And, uh, you will love it. It's just great stuff. But I've got to tell you this too. So, I was in an MA program at African Christian, Masters in Church History, Mm -hmm. in Mm 1966-67. So, I think it must have been the second semester, the spring of 67, I was in a course on Restoration History with Bill Humble. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And Bill had us read Ed's book. And it blew us away. I mean, all of us. Carl Holiday was in that Mm group. Jim Reynolds, you may know Jim Reynolds, who... preaches for one of the churches in the dallas area Mm -hmm. jim was in that class carl there were eight or ten of us and we were just blown away by it and when we finished the book humble asked us students Mm -hmm. to locate this guy denominationally he is part of our tradition but where is he Uh and we all agreed that ed harrell is a liberal (laughs) member of the disciples of christ and the reason we said that. It, 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 the arguments that he was making uh-huh. seemed so radical that we just couldn't. And then Humboldt surprised us by telling us, nope, he is in the most conservative wing of our movement. But the thing is, he is so scrupulously honest yeah. about his research. So yes. he's telling the truth as he sees it. And we thought it was, you know, radical left wing to self. Nope, <laughs> right wing. You know, yeah.
0: Well, I cannot wait to read that book and, and uh, you know, maybe talk to you about it again on another interview, because that sounds fascinating. And just the idea of the notion, uh, you know, acapella music is so dear <clears throat> to our tradition and it's been defended, uh, you know, tooth and nail as orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but to, to think that, you know, maybe it, it first began out of necessity and became later a theological uh, issue to distinguish mm-hmm. ourselves from the north. Uh, rather That's
1: do- exactly right, and it's true that the primitive church, the early church, didn't use an instrument. But there's a reason for that, mm-hmm. and the reason is because the early church grew up in the synagogues, in the oh. teaching institution. There's no instrument in the synagogue. Mm-hmm. There's instrument in the temple. You know all mm-hmm. kinds of instruments. Where they but in the synagogue, no. And the early church grew up there. And then of course the early church was under uh, Roman persecution. I mean, they, of course they don't have an instrument. So There are all kinds of reasons why they didn't. But you're right. We made we made that sort of a a, kind of a reason for our being. Yes, exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. uh, What set us apart? Yeah. The the thing that we we
1: kind of burst the bubble by saying, well, yeah, but we were too forward to buy
0: one in any event. So. So uh, that brings to the question, how do you assess where we are now? Uh, Churches of Christ in this uh, the 21st century, the the year 2021. uh, How would you analyze where we have come, where we are now? And also, I'd love to hear any thoughts and ideas about, um, and hear your wisdom about moving forward in the future and how we can can be uh, kingdom builders in in this world that we find ourselves.
1: Well, th- th- that's a great question. Thank you for the opportunity to t- to reflect on that. Um, you know, I don't think we're in a very good place mm. in churches of Christ these days, mm. and what I see is a real split that's it's not been formalized but there's a quite a split yes. uh between the very conservative churches of christ who are you know very committed to you know no instrument mm-hmm. of women can't participate mm-hmm. you know all these kind of uh, the, you know but th- those uh, let's just take as a case in point mm-hmm. the nashville area yes so the in davidson county so the last i heard there was. 350 congregations of churches of Christ in Davidson County. Mm. And that doesn't count Williamson County where we live. You know, within, you know, within our house, they're probably within the 10 mile radius, there are probably five or six churches of Christ that I can get to with 10 minutes max. Wow. Amazing. And there's one probably three minutes from us, one direction, and three minutes another direction, and they're everywhere. But but this the, many of these smaller churches, and especially r- rural churches mm-hmm. still are very much in that mm-hmm. in the old Church of Christ tradition, yes. the kind of thing we're talking about about music and women those kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. but many of the larger churches in urban areas, like in Dallas mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. like in Nashville, mm-hmm. or Little Rock or Oklahoma City, you know the,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, many of these churches have, Gravitated, it seems to me, very rapidly over the last goodness mm. twenty or thirty years, in the direction of American evangelicalism, mm. Mm. and we've 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 really become evangelicals. Yes, mm. and uh, and I said, I don't think we're in a good place. I don't think that's a very good place for us to be. Mm. And, and the reason the reason I say that is because. We have all watched the evangelical world over the last four or five years, yes. and it's not been a good picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. And evangelicals, I mean, they, they, a lot of what we hear from the evangelical world has discredited yes. evangelicalism, and it's discredited Christianity. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of people non-believers, for example, who would who would look at the evangelical world and say Really? If that's what it means to be a Christian count me out I get that. I get that. Now the problem is we have gravitated in that direction
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and uh, I think we began that gravitation in that direction some years ago and it ended with church growth yeah. You know, we we looked at Willow Creek in Chicago, and they were just you know booming, and all these, mm-hmm. uh, saddleback church in Southern California. I mean, these churches mm-hmm. just booming. Yes, and we weren't. <laughs> well, why are they booming? And we came to the conclusion: well, you know the, their music and mm-hmm. you know they, they put on a show every Sunday, and it's they, people come to see the show. I mean, uh-huh. to put it crassly. Yes, of course. And so you, know, we weren't growing. They were. We began moving more and more mm-hmm. in, that, in that direction. But the, the, the problem with American Evangelicalism, I mean, there, there are a number of problems that, that I see. Mm-hmm. And, and two, here are the two problems. Number one, typically, American Evangelical Christianity is all about Jesus and me.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: very privatized. Mm-hmm. So the kind of work, for example, that you're interested in, mm-hmm. racial reconciliation, mm-hmm. caring for impoverished people. Living out Matthew twenty-five. Yes. Well, I'm not. I don't want to say that they don't do this yes. because some some who do. Sojourners. Jim Wallace's is sojourners. They're evangelicals, but they're very much on board with this kind of kingdom vision. But yes. the broad swath of, of American evangelicals, yes. they are not, yes. because they for them, Christianity is it's about Jesus and me. So it's, it has a lot to do with inner piety, mm. and devotions. Uh, the, the spirit in my life, yes. but it doesn't lead me outward. Then the other problem is it's not just about Jesus and me, but it's otherworldly. It's all about, you know, you know, the get out of the jail card, you know, get out of hell card. It's, you know, it, like the Monopoly game. Exactly. So it, it's Jesus and me and going to heaven when I die. So, so if a, a religion that is on the one hand privatized mm-hmm. and on the other hand otherworldly, is not going to be very interested in racial reconciliation wow. or social justice issues. They're j- just not. I mean, that's not going to show up on the radar screen mm-hmm. because that's not you know that that's not the forte. Yes. And well, our problem is we have, we have been moving in that direction at the very time they have discredited themselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. So what do we do with this? Yes. I mean, what, what what do we do? What, I mean, we, you know, increasingly we've identified with, with American evangelicalism, mm-hmm. but, you know, American evangelicalism is, is, is taking a really bad rap these days. That's and, true. you know, and they will claim, I was reading a book the other day, that I did, don't have the book yet, but reading a blurb about a book on American evangelicalism and race by a woman named Anthea Butler, who teaches at Penn State. And this book is getting rave reviews, but in the review, it quoted her as saying, that evangelicals complain about being persecuted, and she says they're not being persecuted; they're being held to account. Oh, that's a great! Account. Yes. Yeah, well, why, why do you do what you do? Why, mm-hmm. You know, and you know this could lead us into the political sphere very quickly, and I'm not going to go there. But you know exactly what I'm thinking, and exactly. you're kind exactly. of thinking the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, where should Churches of Christ go? Mm. Uh, well, I, you know, I know where I think they should go, but the chances of their going there, are, I mean, I'm just one voice. I'm and, be- you know, I can tell you what I think, but it's in the long run, it's going to make no difference. I mean, uh-huh. we're moving in a certain direction. And, mm-hmm. But I remember when I was at Abilene Christian as a grad student, this would have been 1966, 67, when I read Harold's book for the first time. And you remember Everett Ferguson, of course. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. So Everett directed my MA thesis. Wow. And the thesis grew out of something that Everett did that changed my life. I mean, it really totally changed my life. Everett mm-hmm. put a little book in my hands. Mm-hmm. And he said, read this book. And he he put the book in my hands because he knew that I was interested in restoration. And I was mm-hmm. trying to figure it out. What it, you know, I was trying to understand myself. I mm-hmm. knew I couldn't understand myself apart from understanding the Churches of Christ of because they shaped me so profoundly. Mm-hmm. So he knew I was interested in restoration. So he gave me this book, told me to read. And the book was by Franklin H. Littell, L-I-T-T-E-L-L, mm-hmm. called uh, the, uh, the, the Anabaptist View of the Church. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And I read it, and it blew me away Ooh. because here's why. Mm-hmm.
0: because
1: i had grown up in a world yes skillman johnson street church of Christ in san angelo mm-hmm. broadway in Lubbock, where i was first oh. you know introduced to christianity yes but i had grown up in a world that talked a lot about restoration but it was about restoration of forms and structures
2: mm. so the
1: adventists these were people in the early 16th century during the reformation mm-hmm. so they, so the these young kids i mean they're like 20 year old kids in mm-hmm. zurich switzerland and zwingli who's the reformer in zurich who's all about restoring the primitive church
2: mm-hmm.
1: these kids hear zwingli talk about primitive church mm-hmm. and they're reading the new testament and they're reading what jesus says mm-hmm. and they they're reading all this crazy mm-hmm. upside down stuff <laughs> if, if you want to live you've got to die if you want to be in the front of the line, go to the back of the line. Mm. You know, these two disciples say to Jesus, I want one of us on your right and one of your left. And Jesus says, guys, you don't get it. <laughs> you're missing the whole point. Mm. He says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Mm. But it shall not be so among you. Yes. You know, the Son of Man didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Mm. And, you know, your job is not to sit on my right hand and my left hand in glory. Your job is to get into the muck and the mire and serve people. So I mean, so, so these, these young people in Zurich are reading this stuff from the Gospels and they look at Christendom mm-hmm. all around them and what mm-hmm. they see are state church, yes. state church. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're born, say, a German by nationality. Three days later, your parents take you to the parish church yeah. and you're baptized and you're now... A christian right yes. so everyone in society is by definition christian mm-hmm. so you may be english but a christian you're a spanish and a christian you're german and a christian you're christian by virtue of your baptism that took place when you were three or four days old mm-hmm. so now the church christian being christian is equivalent to being a citizen mm. so the church is full of people who are liars, <laughs> eaters, rapists, yes. murderers, thieves. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're good people too, but the church requires nothing. I mean, you're in the church. That's Christendom. It's by definition corrupt. Born into it. yeah. It's basically, Zwingli. Zwingli, we've been reading about what Jesus says, and he's calling us to a whole different standard. Mm-hmm. And we think that that in Zurich, we should take another step. Mm. And the step would be to abandon the baptism of infants because that's yeah. what sustains the state church. Mm-hmm. And baptize only people who are willing to make a commitment yes. to follow Jesus wherever he leads. Mm. And if it means selling our goods to give to the poor, we sell our goods to give to the poor. Mm-hmm. If it means we don't take up the sword because he said, love your enemies, mm-hmm. then we don't take up the sword. Yes. And we do. We do. It's this radical it, it it's it's Barton Stone. Yes, Barton Stone. Dixon. Oh yes, it's, you know in the Church of Christ. Mm-hmm. And Zwingli says to these kids, mm-hmm. he says, "All right, you kids want to abandon baptism and embrace adult baptism." He said, "If you try this, mm-hmm. we will take you out. We will murder you. You mm-hmm. try it, we're going to take you out mm-hmm. because." No one in medieval Europe, 16th century, could imagine a church that was not a state church. So this the state church serves the state, mm-hmm. even as the state exalts the church, and mm-hmm. these kids are proposing an alternative to, to the state church. Yes. Uh-uh. You tried, we're going to kill you. Mm-hmm. So they met one. I think it was January the January the 31st, maybe 1525, I think was the date, and they met at the home of one of these kids, They had a long conversation. Mm -hmm. Should we obey God? Mm. Or swing? (laughs) And they they decided to obey God. And so they that very night they baptized each other. And thus was born the Anabaptist movement, Anna Re, Anabaptist, Re baptizers. They baptized one another and they began preaching this message. Mm. And within a year or two, Max. Every one of those young people who had begun this movement had been executed. Every one of them. Wow. But the movement grew and it grew and it grew. Well, so so you're asking me where should we go? Yes. Well, they're models for what we should be doing. Yes. And the offer the clearest model. I and mean, they they these are people who talked restoration of the primitive church, mm-hmm. but they weren't interested in forms and structures, and they weren't interested in just Jesus and me, and they yeah. weren't interested. In, you know, of course, they care about going to heaven, but that's not what it's all about. Yes. It's about solidarity. It's about Matthew 25. Mm. You know, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat, and I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was sick and in prison, you visited me, and I was a stranger, and you welcomed me, etc., etc. And Jesus says, Inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me, entering the kingdom. That's the vision. That was the end of vision. And for their trouble, mm-hmm. they were murdered. Thousands and thousands were murdered. They finally, left. I don't think there's a single Anabaptist left in Europe. They all came here, mm-hmm. and you find them now in mm-hmm. Lancaster, Pennsylvania, <laughs> Lancaster County. You find it in Holmes County, Ohio, Elkhart County, Indiana. In Mexico, there's a colony of Anabaptists near Nashville, south of here. But so you're asking, where should we go? Mm -hmm. Well, to my mind, American evangelicalism is exactly the wrong place to go. And that's where we've been going. Mm -hmm. Wow. So so I don't think we're in a very good place and I don't know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know what I think we should do, but are we going to do that?
0: I don't think so. That's right. So I think
1: what
0: you're saying is profound. And I think you know, one thing it's not lost on me that this conversation we're having is on Good Friday and that uh, we're recording this call on Good Friday. Easter Sunday is, is uh, upcoming and we'll release this podcast on Wednesday, but we're, we're talking here on Good Friday and um, it's not lost on me that this, this is a season of darkness. It's a season where we're lost. There's an identity crisis in a lot of ways but the the Jesus story is one where uh, something when something dies <laughs> it gives room for something new to emerge and I think about the quote that was given at the the end of the inaugural address this past year with um, the poet Amanda Gorman and she she said that in darkness there's always room for light if we are brave enough to see it and if we're brave enough to be it. Raise it and raise I it. Embrace it. And I think um, what you're talking about with what happened there in Zurich with the Anabaptist movement, it took radical bravery to stand up to uh, a nominal Christianity, a, a Christianity that was all about the forms and the functions and the structures, um, but was about a radical envision and imagination of living in the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in, in heaven. It's profound. Well,
1: that's exactly right. And these young people in Zurich Took on not just the establishment, they took on really, uh, well, the early church, of course, was under the cross Mm -hmm. for three centuries, and then Constantine made the church legal, Mm -hmm. and toward the end of that century, Theodosius the Great makes it the only legal religion. Mm -hmm. So now Christianity is exalted, is raised up, it's in position of power, and what, what amazes me, too, is the way American evangelicalism... Mm -hmm. I I wrote a little piece on this, I'll send it to you, but American evangelicalism, uh, beginning in 1979
2: with Jerry
1: Falwell, the majority movement, Mm -hmm. what they tried to do was superimpose some kind of Christianity on American culture through politics, Mm -hmm. through, in effect, through force, through Mm -hmm. law. So the message was elect Christians to the Senate, elect Mm -hmm. Christians to the House, Mm-hmm. To your state your local government, that's get question, and then I keep thinking about what Jesus said you know the, the rulers and the Gentiles I mean it's not about yes controlling elections <laughs> it's not about controlling the culture
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's about serving mm-hmm. and and if we were to do that and we lose ninety percent of our members
2: mm-hmm. well,
1: so be it yes I mean that's what we're called to do mm. Uh, yeah. it, it is. It's a radical vision. Uh, can we embrace it? Uh, I don't know.
0: Beautiful vision, though. It definitely is beautiful. You, and,
1: per, and, for, and for Easter Sunday, resurrection to yeah. something new. Yes. To this radical call from Jesus. A uh, mm-hmm. call to restore forms and structures. That's, that's just not the calling. That's <laughs> not the biblical calling. That's a boring... I, I Campbell thought it was. Campbell lived in this in this enlightenment age of reason era, you know, he's a, I get that, but mm-hmm. the, the camel, in my view, was just mistaken. Marking <laughs> up the wrong tree. And so, well, you've got it. My perspective on it.
0: Richard, this has been a profound conversation, one that I'm, I know... For the years in my life that follow, I, I think I'll look back and recall certain things that you've said and nuggets of wisdom that you shared with us. A profound, epic, inspirational uh, conversation. Um, so thank you from the depth of my heart on behalf of the listeners who I'm sure are at their homes with a notepad writing down what you were saying with notes. Uh, thank you again uh, for, for your, uh, your wisdom, uh, the, the life that you've lived in pursuit of this and sharing with us some of the lessons you've learned and and your vision for the future. So thank you. A thousand thanks. Uh, You've blessed us today. John Mark. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with your friends or your family members or anyone who may find this interview and this conversation valuable. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast as well, because there are more interviews coming up. And just as amazing as these. And so thank you again. Have a great rest of the day. And may God bless you.